Uh, hey, Serge, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. It's early. It is, it is. And uh, I was at karaoke last night for like four hours, so we're going to see how my voice does. Nice. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I always used to... I was, I used to just totally hate karaoke. Like, oh my god, you want me to like go sing in front of a bunch of people with a microphone? This seems like the thing that I least wanted to do, right? Um, right. And then, you know, like over the course of of like a year, or several months, some of my friends like dragged me out to karaoke a few times, and it was like, oh, it turns out that this is like fun and i can totally do this and it's and it's fine and like everyone's everyone else is doing this and it's all like everyone's just having fun um so it took uh i should open up the slack too uh but so it took um you know just a little bit of like time and practice and uh like doing the thing to get over you know self-consciousness about doing the thing and some you know just like mental uh like mental work around like having the self-confidence to like to, to like just go do karaoke with people right which i think is a nice segue for a thing that we wanted to talk about today see what i was doing here all right all right i like it <laughs> so i think i you may remember i mentioned to you a week or so ago that i had lunch with uh, with one of our listeners who's in ann arbor here and got in touch with me and wanted to uh, get lunch and talk about some like software development related stuff, but actually more software team related um, stuff and and team dynamics and imposter syndrome and starting a new job and and like getting used to uh, or, or like yeah sort of like getting used to the like software development world coming out of you know undergrad or out of uh, you know what your your class or or whatever education experience you have. And I don't know if that's something that we've talked about before, but I think it's something that could be really helpful for for us to talk about. Does that sound like a good uh, good topic for you? Yeah, I'm definitely down for it. How long has this person been programming? For about um I mean, so programming in general for for a few years it seems like uh, I don't remember exactly, but uh, they just graduated from from undergrad uh, a few months ago and like started their first uh, like out of grad uh, or first out of college programming job. Um, gotcha. A month ago, at the time that like we had lunch and talked about this, nice. so there, there's a whole lot to deal with. I don't know, like when's the last time that you started you know started a whole new job or like do you remember? Any of the stuff that like you experienced or that you were thinking about when you started a new job, especially when you're like newer to programming? Yeah, I remember some of it. It was the, it was maybe six years ago at this point, quite a while ago. Yeah. But I, I do remember some of those feelings, and I think they like some of those feelings pop back up when you like learn a new stack, like when I was messing with the Android stuff. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, you have the it's not quite confidence, but you know the path through which your learning is going to go. You know it's going to start out with you being like, I don't understand any of this. I can't do anything. This, this is impossible. terrible. Everyone here does, is so much better than me. Right. How does anybody do this at all? This doesn't even Nothing make makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually it ticks into, okay, well, I could do some small things and I'm, I'm crawling and then I'm walking and then, you know, I don't think with the Android stuff I've gotten running yet, but, you know, you... With each stack you kind of, or with each thing that you learn, you kind of get there. Totally, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that that we mentioned. Like, uh, I think this this person was like starting a new, like starting a new thing and working a new stack. And like a month in, 
I feel like it's important to call out, like, you're not going to be an expert. And I don't think anyone is expecting you to be an expert on a new stack like a month in, um, mm-hmm. especially a month in at a new company, uh, the new stack and everything. Like, you're still going to feel totally or, or at least I will still feel like totally lost. And like, I don't really know what's going on at all. And that's totally fine. Like, I don't know how long it takes, uh, how, how long it would take you typically to like get into like, okay, I know how this team works and how this company works. I know the stack the works. Code base. I know how our code base works, but like yeah. that is months and months and months of, of effort for me. So you started your June new job last mm-hmm. June, right? Uh, I think it was May, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah right around then and and you had a pretty different like you moved from doing ios at the times with like kind of a reactive paradigm all the way over to okay now i'm doing python and writing go and stuff like that so that was like a pretty big shift as well like how long did it take before you felt productive i mean a long time i mean i started this in may and i think it was probably like july or august before i really started feeling like okay I understand how like this team works. I understand how we're organizing stuff. I understand how the different parts of this system work. I understand how to like make changes to this to to any of these code bases in a way that I actually understand. There's still things that I'm learning about like Python, um, despite the fact that I've been been writing Python ostensibly for I mean, we're we're coming up on a year here in a few months. Like there's there's just so much, uh, and I've been doing the software development thing for a little while now, right? Yeah. So this is even more overwhelming for someone who's like you're just coming out of undergrad or just coming out of a boot camp or like just starting a new, you know, just made a switch to uh, to a programming career somehow. There there's a lot there. So I guess the ta- like takeaway for this little bit is like it's it's gonna take a while for you to like for you to feel like you're you're you know what's going on you're contributing and that's that's totally okay and and expected and no one is expecting you to come in and like a month in be uh like an be an expert on stack and on the code base and be making like giant changes that that touch a big parts of the code base and are like major uh major changes to the app and that's just not how things work and uh it's yeah. it's uncomfortable but I, I would even go a step further, and I would say anybody who does expect that, especially in the first, like, let's say, month, is an unreasonable manager, an unreasonable coworker. Um, I mean, frankly, kind yeah. of an asshole. Yeah, totally. That, and that, so that's something else that we talked about is like sort of team dynamics and expectations from from the, the rest of the team, and like what to, to talk about with with your manager. Um, that was one of my pieces of advice. Was like, you know, if you feel like feeling this this stuff, uh, you're worrying about like how much you're contributing, worrying about uh, you know like Im- Im- imposter syndrome, right? Is everyone else on this team so much smarter than me? Uh, that is something you you can talk to. You know, talk to talk to your manager about, uh, and hopefully they can like do something helpful, reassure you. Like, no, this is like you're 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 doing great as a new contributor to the team. I mean, there there are a lot of like bad software teams out there, and just bad managers, who, and there are places that you probably don't want to work for for a long time, honestly. Yeah. So so sort of in the same vein, another thing that we talked about is you know it's a, a small team. I think that this person said they're on a team with with eight people. My, like, this entire startup that we're working on is nine people, including, like, CEO and everyone, right? So it's a small right. team. And another topic that they came up was a sort of, uh, like, rock star programmer on the team, which I'm sure is something that you, uh, that, like, you're familiar with, right? Um, yeah. In this case, it's someone on the team who's, like, uh, apparently, like, frequently pushing, like, 
2000 line diffs that like refactor or I mean, probably not refactor in the strict sense of the word, right? That like rewrite just a huge part of the application for like no apparent reason. Like it doesn't correspond to a like a user story in the agile sense or like a bug fix or some deliverable. It's just because like, uh, well, I think this code is better. And, uh, right. and it's something that, um, this, this listener I talked to was finding like, um, some of these rewrites and some of the techniques that the, that this developer is using hard to understand. I think that it's, it's not just the listener. It's like other people on the team too. I mean, I, what, what are your thoughts on, on this sort of like that, that dynamic? Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of think about a lot is like code review is, is not just the time for people who are more experienced to tell people who are less experienced how things work. It's also a chance for people who are less experienced to say, hey, I know I'm new here, but this doesn't actually make any sense to me. So either you're using some feature of the language or the code base that I don't understand, or you're like you're you're, you're writing code in a maybe purposefully obtuse way. This isn't working. Like, can you explain this part? Like you the person who mm-hmm. is submitting the pull request is basically responsible for defending like kind of like a thesis defense, like defending that code that they are presenting to the team. And part of that is making sure that everybody on the team is like on board with the way that this, uh, this new code looks and works and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. An important part of code review, uh, is, is not just, uh, right. Not just correcting code that, that people have written, but getting, making sure that like people on the team are, are on board with what's happening or where what's happening with that. They understand, uh, the changes that that are being made, and it's a really good opportunity uh, for you know for some sort of uh, like impromptu education or like impromptu learning, impromptu mentoring. It w- and that can be really helpful. And on the other hand, if it just consists of here's this huge two thousand line diff that makes things better, and uh, I don't care that half the team doesn't understand it, YOLO. Uh, that's a right. really really not a healthy team dynamic. That person is not being, uh, especially if the person who's contributing this is is not open to like helping people explain and and or helping people understand and doing that in a way that is like helpful and not condescending uh right the like feigned um what's the word the feigned, feigned like surprise yeah what you don't the, know how this works oh my god how are you a pro like you've never heard of that's, who is it? you've never heard of richard stallman i can't oh believe that like it's uh just that's just such a I think, unfortunately, more common than it than it should be in the sort of programming world. But that's just super, just toxic and not helpful. Yeah. And the idea there is, you're saying that, like, just making sure for everybody. I've heard of this thing. I know what this is. Just so everybody knows, you know, and kind of throwing the other person under the bus, not right. not kind of admitting the fact that there was a time when you didn't know that thing either. And you know, there's other people. Yeah, might be listening along that also don't know, and now they feel uncomfortable talking about it. And yeah, the the person isn't trying to accomplish like anything good through through that dynamic. It's uh, in it like I, I think maybe cover like helping cover up or like their way of trying to deal with you know their their own imposter syndrome, which uh, which we should talk about, which is totally a thing that everybody uh, that everybody I think feels and and deals with. Am I right, Sirush? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I gave a conference talk about it. I, I'm pretty, pretty into the, into the imposter syndrome thing. Wait, you gave a conference talk about it? I did. Um, How did I not know was, this? I don't know. Maybe you don't watch all my talks. Uh, it was called Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. I gave it at Coco Love in 2000-something. Oh, man. 
I'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah, basically, do. I talked about I used to work in in academia, much like yourself, and um, I was I was in this lab and, and I was in a bioengineering lab and um, I was like stretching cow tissue, and I would be doing my work and I would like be paralyzed with fear pretty much every single day. Maybe there was a couple of days I didn't feel, but most days where th- that my boss would come in and just be like, you know what, Sarush, pack it up, get out of here. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, I don't know like, like why I thought you could do this job, but you clearly can't. You're not doing enough work. You're getting good data and all that stuff. You're just not and smart enough to do this. I'm exactly. sorry, Sarush. And um, that he would just literally just fire me on the spot and tell me to pack my things. I'm like, it's, grad school doesn't work like that. Like no, that never happens to anybody. Not that I knew this at the time, but like maybe that could happen in a real job, but it like absolutely couldn't have happened in academia. I don't think I don't think it's going to happen in uh, with at least without like a lot of warning in in a yeah, real yeah, job yeah. either. I'm, I'm not saying it will happen in a real job. I'm just saying like like academia. Like the fact that I was afraid of it in academia shows that it's like a very irrational fear, and I think it's mm. an irrational fear in a real job mm-hmm. as well. So my my first like real full time job we had a glass conference room in the corner of the office and I could see when all the like upper management was meeting and I would literally be writing code and I'd be peering over my iMac being like, they're talking about me in there. I absolutely know they're talking about me in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I, we should put this in the show notes and like, I will watch this somehow. I had no idea that you've given this talk. You Uh, should watch it. I think it's a decent talk. It's only 10 minutes. It's pretty short. And then part of the resolution was like, I found a, medium post i think no it was a, a regular blog post that's now hosted on medium sorry that links <laughs> to this this thing on wikipedia and i read it and i was like oh my god this is exactly what i'm feeling and unfortunately like knowing about it makes it go away to some degree but it, it also like levels you up to like dealing with more complex versions of imposter syndrome uh but just reading the wikipedia article did help me and like understand like hey other people feel this too this is not a rational fear this is just this is fake to some degree yeah I mean, and it's not like uh, it's irrational fear, and and it's fake, uh, and it's also something that is totally a real feeling that like pretty much everyone deals with, right? Uh, yeah. I've I've mentioned like at at this job and at, like at past jobs, you know, always like, oh my god, these working these other people are like so smart. I'm like, these <laughs> these people are going to figure out that I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, why and did they even hire Chris? I mean, ugh. you get to some like a point where for some reason you talk with someone about this stuff, right? And um uh I know there's there's like someone I follow on Twitter who is just super smart and and really sharp and I understand like a third of the programming tweets that he posts like at <laughs> all. And one of the other things that he'll talk about aside from like crazy programming uh stuff that I don't understand is uh is like his imposter syndrome like it just it's it, it all all across the stack it's it's imposter syndrome all the way down right yeah um which is just to say that like this is totally understandable like for for you the like new new programmer or like any programmer programmer new job totally understandable totally a thing that that you're going to feel and totally a thing that like also everyone else is is feeling and dealing with and maybe dealing with in a like talking with their manager way maybe dealing with in a less healthy way like like uh, not talking about it or like uh like rewriting half the app every week to like to prove to themselves and to the team that like they can do this right yeah and that that kind of thing also you know if you're Perhaps a lot of experienced engineer that can seem intimidating, but if mm-hmm. you're 
maybe even more experienced than this person who's pushing these like huge diffs, you could be like, oh, actually, like you're not building anything new and we have new things to build. Right. So you're maybe focused on the wrong things. And that's something that you might not see as a more junior person that you will see as a, as a more senior person. It's something that you definitely won't see if you're like, you know, the, the GitHub has the like contributor stats on a repo, which, mm-hmm. uh, which are, it's super tempting to like go look at and be like, oh, okay, how much, how much code am I pushing up compared to like everyone else? But like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'm really thankful that I didn't know you could do that. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to have told you this then. Uh, but you can. But it's also like, I really hate that GitHub has this feature because it it's not like, it's not useful at, like, what is it useful for aside from like making like the top two people feel good about themselves for a reason that really isn't valid? Like right. what you're contributing does like, just does not correlate to number of lines you have touched in a code base generally. Yeah. It, it, there have been times when I've worked on really, really hard bugs that the fix for it ends up being one, five, ten lines of code. Right. But it took two weeks to figure those ten lines out. Yeah. It was um, figure figure out yeah. what the ten lines are. So yeah. Yeah. So it's And so and so the only fe- the only thing that this feature accomplishes is like helping people feel bad about themselves, which is just not uh which just yeah. isn't good. I mean, th- there's also like okay, we have this open source repo and we want to send t shirts to everybody, like the top like the people who actually work on this project and you can look at it and say, Oh, these 10 people are the people who like actually do work on this project. Okay. I mean, and, I'll, I'll allow yeah. that, that I have been yeah. given a little bit of a, like a hot take here, but um, yeah, yeah, I feel you. I, I, I looking at this on your private repo with like eight people on it for, for your company is like, yeah, I, I totally get the impulse. If they're all full time and they all have the same job. Yeah. Um, you know, I totally get the impulse, but like you're the only thing you're going to accomplish is like making yourself feel feel worse, and so uh, yeah, you know resist totally. that temptation. So you're mentioning this thing about having like a like a like a rock star who like is the only one who knows how to run the app, and like things have to be done in their way, otherwise they can't really be done at all. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this really funny story. Uh, it's called the inner JSON effect. I'll put it in show notes. And it's basically this story. This at this point for me is like an internet classic. This guy, Jake, I'm sure names have been changed to protect the innocent, but this guy starts a new job. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so basically they like, he like starts working on this new job. He like starts to check out from the, the, the um, source control and it takes a really long time. It takes like a couple days. And then he starts looking at these functions and these files that are in the thing. Everything is like a JSON object. And like, you know, the JSON object has a key called class, and that tells you the name of the class, and then it has a key called function, and that's an array of numbers. So he starts digging in a little bit more, and he realizes that each of these numbers kind of refers to a function somewhere else. So he starts to figure out, like, what do these numbers mean? The numbers what? refer to, I think they refer to, like, the, the subversion checkout, or the reversion commit number or something that that function was added in. And so he's like playing with the code. He's like starting to work with it. And so he like adds a little bit of code, comments it out. And then, you know, just like he's kind of playing around. And he checks in the stuff that he's been working on. Because I don't think like Subversion has like branches, right? So you can't just um, keep your stuff on a separate branch. So he kind of just checks it in. But it's commented on, so he's not worried about it. He goes away for the weekend. He comes back. And then everybody's really mad. And everybody's freaking out. And um, the whole app is broken. The site's broken. 
And oh, and then I I didn't mention I don't think, but the, basically this whole system is the brainchild of one person named Tom. Yeah, uh, they all I think mean, Tom of course is a it genius. Is. Yeah, and, yeah. So uh, they basically pull the new guy into the office, and you broke this new this system. And he, he said, "Why?" And they, they kind of like they're like, "What'd you do?" And he says, "Well, I didn't really do anything. I just kind of put some new stuff in, and then I commented it out and checked it in." And the guy, Tom, starts yelling. He's like, you can't use comments in JDSL. That's what broke it. And so apparently <laughs> comments like wiped out the customer database because it doesn't actually parse the fact that they're comments. It just runs them like ex- like normal code. And so the this this like rock star senior engineer boy is like, I knew it. You broke it. I can't deal with coders who can't understand the system. You either fire quit or you either fire Jake or I quit. And he leaves the room and then... You know, of course, what choice do they have? Their entire system is built on what this guy knows, and they have no other choice. Uh, so they fired Jake, and Jake, like, probably you know, dodged a bullet on this one. But like, yeah. this is, I think, the the worst situation you can be in, right? This is the, like the the extreme of what we're talking about when we talk yeah. about like the one engineer who like thinks they run the show and you know controls the whole code base and yeah, you know, submits these huge pull requests to change stuff and. Yeah, totally. And so, I mean, I think the lesson here, this is like clearly an, a really extreme example, but it's that that's also sort of funny. <laughs> it's also really funny. Um, but it's the sort of dynamic where, where you have like that sort of like, uh, like rock star genius programmer uh, and like everyone else in fear to them and like sometimes and like doesn't really understand how, how large parts of the system work is not only like bad for the like everyone on the team. Uh, but it, it's like it's bad for for the company too. Like having one person who's like that much of a single point of um, like a single point of failure, uh, right. or like they call you, that the bus factor, right? If you're, I forget if that's a high or a low bus factor, but it, either a low way, bus factor, yeah, low bus factor. It's, that's it's bad. How many people have to get hit by a bus for your company to like stop working or for your team to stop working? <laughs> so, um, and the answer here is one person. If one person goes away, then yeah, you know everything's borked. Yeah, um, and well, we could solve that just by banning all buses. Um, <laughs> Not a bad solution. Stupid joke. Uh, anyway, that is just to say that this sort of thing is, I think, again, again, I think is unfortunately common in a lot of software teams uh, to some extent. You know, not to the extent that that this example illustrates. I think it's important to uh, to recognize that and to like recognize that that is what's going on or that that dynamic is at play on, on your team when it's happening. Because, uh, if you don't, then like you start like driving yourself crazy, like, uh, thinking about like, ah, man, this guy's just like a genius. How do I like, how can possibly compare or like contribute to the same code base? Um, when, well, the tricky part is like when you, when you're just starting out, it's, it's so hard to know this stuff. Like, like how could you know that, that this is a, this is a thing that we deal with in our industry? No, yeah. Uh, well, by listening to podcasts where people talk about it. That's right. Where's my bell? Uh, my bell is lost. How's um, that bell? <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's, I, that's why we're talking about it, right? Because it's not obvious when you start a new job that, like, uh, you're, like, like all quote unquote good programmers are not pushing up a giant pull request that rewrites a major part of the app every few weeks. Like, right. that's not what's supposed to happen <laughs> that's not yeah that's not supposed to happen uh you know unless people are expecting that and like you've agreed that like you're going to do this in order to like in order to deliver some some feature or to reduce some sort of technical debt or to fix some sort of bug or like do something user facing right? right yeah that's not that's not something that is generally helpful or healthy or 
useful, right? And I think it's unfortunately common, but it's not uh, it's not something that that should drive you to to feel bad about yourself. Yeah, I think that that's basically right. One other thing I want to throw in, as long as we're kind of talking about this, this was kind of bubbling around on Twitter this morning. It's 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 kind of funny because it's a tweet by an account called Code Wisdom. But it's an actual tweet by someone who's like on Twitter and like has their own ability to say whatever they want to say. So it's kind of like a, you know, that office joke about you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's right. By Wayne Gretzky, by Michael Scott or whatever. (laughs) But but the quote is, uh, it's from Patrick McKenzie. And he writes that website, Calzumius, which has all that good like uh, salary negotiation info. And the quote is, every great developer you know got there by solving problems they were unqualified to solve until they actually did it. And I think that that is a really good like explanation of what's what's happening with a lot of people. And one of the ways I found it was that Mike Ash tweeted, uh, he quote tweeted, he says, people sometimes ask how I learned the crazy stuff I like to do. This is how. And like, if it works for Mike Ash, with all the things that Mike Ash knows, like, probably it's a pretty good strategy. Like, if we can teach Mike Ash, it could probably teach you. Totally. Yeah, uh, Mike Ash is like so. Like I'm not as smart as Mike Ash, and like he can do all this crazy stuff, you know. I don't like I don't like hearing that kind of talk, Chris. I'm I know, I know, <laughs> but he like, but that's where we are, right? Um, is uh, I I'm a human, Zarush. Um, yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> so I think that's. I mean, I think that's all I have on that subject, really. Just to kind of wrap that up. Um, congratulations on like your new job or your new, new career. This is like quick bullet points. It's totally normal to take months and months, especially if you're dealing with a new stack or like unfamiliar technology to, to feel comfortable, to feel like you're making a contribution to a team. There are often like weird and unhealthy dynamics and like power structures in programming teams. It's hard, but I think important to, to recognize that when that's going on, because it can otherwise make you feel really bad about yourself you it's it's uh okay to talk with your manager about stuff like this uh if you can't talk with your manager about stuff like this or your manager is dismissive that's a bad thing and like you may want to think about finding somewhere with a different manager you know as as uh as your your um personal situation allows uh imposter syndrome is totally a real thing and something that everybody 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 deals with you're you're doing like you're doing fine everything is is going to be okay yeah. Yeah. I would just add, like, you can't and you shouldn't expect to be really good at something the week that you start. That isn't a real thing. And it's normal to take time to, like, learn something and to get good mm-hmm. at something, um, especially with something as weird as programming, where it's like none of the metaphors that you think should apply do apply. Like, the idea of, you know, building a house is not the same as building a piece of software. It just doesn't work like that. And mm-hmm. it being so weird means you're going to need time to wrap your head around all of the little weird things that, that software, all the different weird ways that software is different than other things that have more basis in the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, give yourself that time. If other people don't want to give you that time, then, like, find ways to either get out of that job or to you know, get them off your back or whatever while you learn and while you figure stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of all I got. Yeah. So hopefully this is a useful podcast. Uh, I want to move on to talking about adding a toggle method to the bool type in Swift. Yeah, let's do it. So there's a proposal open, uh, SE0199 to, uh, add a toggle method to bool in Swift, 
which right. is a mutating function that does exactly what you think it does. <laughs> um, it, it, if the bool is true and you call like my, my Boolean variable dot toggle, then it'll be false. And if right. you do that again, it'll mutate it back to true. So yeah. this is mutating in place. Um, the motivation that is given is like, uh, if you have reading this out aloud, isn't going to be great, but, uh, <laughs> my, my variable dot prop one dot prop two dot enabled, uh, then like toggling that is, is really like kind of verbose. Cause you have to write like that whole thing equals not my var dot prop one dot prop two dot enabled. Uh, and so it's, it's really verbose. Um, and I, I saw this and had like surprisingly strong feelings about this. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, you're the one with strong feelings. I would like to hear them. Really? I, I'm worried I'm going to, uh, I'm going to contaminate your, uh, no, no, I, I, I know what I think. Okay. Uh, I think that this is bad and we shouldn't add it for basically two, well, for, for like several different reasons. First of all, the motivation that's given here is a bad motivation in my view. If you're ever reaching across like, like so many layers of, uh, what's the right word here? So like layers of indirection, if you're ever reaching like this far into an object or into like the objects that an object has some reference to, uh, in order to mutate uh, like a, a variable like that state, this points to a, a poor API design where uh, instead like uh, the intermediate classes here, um, intermediate uh, data types, whatever they are, should expose a nicer API for doing whatever you're trying to do. Like you should never have like three three periods like into <laughs> some object and then be like mutating a little bit of state in there you should ideally like be able to just like tell uh, whatever you have a reference to, Hey, change behavior in this way or do this thing. And it can coordinate whatever, um, you know, whatever's necessary. And Uh, you can do it in a domain safe way as well. So you can say like, right. Make it, make the user an admin instead of, you know, my object dot my user dot admin and abilities dot on equals toggle or whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, this is, you worry this violates Liskov. Uh, Liskov or Lav Demeter, right? Um, uh, shit. Yeah, yeah, it's Lav Demeter, not Liskov. Yeah. So, so this is very like a Lav Demeter based argument, and I totally get that. Uh, there, there are some poorly designed APIs where where you might have to do this, but I, I think that the solution here is not to make it easier to do that. I think that you like if you're dealing with one of these APIs, putting some sort of like facade pattern solution in place is probably the right thing to do. Um, right. I think the motivation for this change is just encouraging a uh, like poor and potentially dangerous API design. Uh, aside from that, it's just weird to have a mutating, I mean, method that does something. So uh, I don't know that does something so, so simple. Like it's, it's a fairly, like, this is not a, small i mean it is small but it's not a like small conceptual api change in in my view like we're adding a like top level mutating function to bool to do this one tiny little thing uh and i i i don't really like that i know you have the like you deserve nice things talk where you do where, deserve nice things where where you argue <laughs> that like adding convenience things like this to apis is, is like nice and is a good idea um yeah I so, think that, so let me hit you with what I think is the counterpoint to, yeah, the, to your uh, argument. What, what is a counterpoint? Uh, okay, so my feeling on this is, first of all, anything that increases expressiveness um, is basically really good, and like I'm, I'm for it. Pretty much anything you can think to add, I would like be down for, essentially. 
So that's like number one. Oh, that's so how about dynamic member lookup? <sighs> okay. Well, <I'll, laughs> all right. All right. You got me. I, I think that was a Patreon episode, so people don't get that joke, but it's fine. Uh, so, yeah. So things that add expressiveness, I'm very down for. The other side of it, the, the direct counterpoint to the law of Demeter thing is you're thinking of this in terms of like, okay, I have a I have a, an app. It's a long-living thing. It's got probably a big team working on it. It really matters what the API is. I have the, I have the time and the... Um, need to like get it right whereas sometimes the, some of the stuff you do with swift is going to just be writing simple scripts to like munge data and so when you're doing that you don't really care about like adding all your cute little extensions back to make sure that like okay well this object because i don't want to dig too deep into it needs this facade for this thing you're not going to do that you just want to flip the bool you don't care about any of the niceties of the api you're just trying to get some code that works to process some data because what you care about is the data at the end of the day. You don't care about the code, the code you might even throw away. And so my feeling there is that this prevents bugs there because you might, instead of, you know, this one's prop one, prop two enabled, you might do prop one, prop two hidden. And so you actually, you have a little bug there where like both sides of the equal side are not the sit, not flipping the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it can fix a bug and it's just designed to like have you write less code at the point of use, essentially. So you're typing code at right when you need that toggling ability. You're not going to say, oh, I actually do have a flaw in my design here. I'm going to go back and fix it. You just want to like write the code that works. And so I think, like especially for use cases of Swift that you and I are not typically used to, um, this kind of thing could be, could be super nice. And like you don't have to use it. Don't use it. Yeah, I mean, that's totally... I totally get that argument. Um, if you're just doing something that quickly munges like data, uh, I'm still slightly unclear on like, so you want to like quickly deal with all this data, but it's in nested structs or like nested classes. I, I, I don't know offhand how useful this would be in a dictionary situation, right? If you just have like a JSON dictionary or something you're dealing with. It would be useful because you can do like, my dictionary, and then do a subscript, and then do toggle, as long as the dictionary is mutable. Okay. Oh, well, you don't know that the thing is a bool. I guess if it's like a string to bool dictionary, it would work perfectly. Yeah. You could question um, mark toggle. So, I'm not, I, so I, I'm not sure how convincing offhand I find the like quick script that munges data sort of use case. Also, if you're doing that, like, the, I, Swift isn't... I don't think Swift is really a great language for like quick and dirty, one-off sort of disposable things like that. But yeah, I mean, I did one a couple of weeks ago. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't hate it. Yeah. Okay, all right. My counter argument is just that, like, what you described is not what's written in the motivation section of this uh, right, of this that's proposal. True. Uh, that's true. What's written in the motivation section of the proposal yeah. is something that, like, if it ca- if if you wrote this in code review, regardless of whether or not there's a toggle method, I, I would flag this in code review as something. Be like, let's uh, let, let's chat about API design, love Demeter. Let's figure out what you're trying to accomplish and see if we can put a nicer API around it. The motivation mentions nested structs specifically, and I think that that could be a nice way to think about it. Just because like structs, you can add convenience methods and and convenience getters and setters to them, mm-hmm. but like you typically don't. You typically like are accessing the whole data structure all at once, and so. You know, since it's not kind of class-based, like encapsulation isn't as serious of a thing. I'm not Maybe. sure. I'm not sure if I, I buy that you that. don't usually add add methods to or convenience things to structs. I uh, I'm less, yeah. especially I mean, if it's Chris Radoff is the one who wrote this, and like I think he has a style where he does that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but either way, 
Yeah. Um, I'm fine agreeing to disagree on this one. I just, I think the Swift Standard Library, while it's better than Foundation, still errs on the side of not enough helpers and useful things. I, and I end up like even that little like script I wrote, I ended up adding like six extensions because like I wanted to write a little bit nicer code. Really? And it's like, yeah, like I needed like count where and I needed like a bunch of other stuff. And it was like, seriously? Yeah. Uh, we'll make sure to throw a link to your You Deserve Nice Things talk in the show notes. Yep, and good. agree to disagree, although I think I'm now less opposed to this uh, proposal than I was initially. We've come together a little bit. Just a little bit. I still don't <laughs> like it that much. I still don't like it. <laughs> Get off my lawn. That's right. But yeah, cool. That's what I've got. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope this episode was was you know at least at least a little bit helpful. Uh, you're you're doing great. I'm sure. Yeah, you're you're all doing great. Yeah, you're all beautiful. Yeah, you're all wonderful. You're people. all made of stars. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll cool. talk to you. I'll talk to you next week. What? Bye. Bye. I said. Nah. Oh, that just didn't work. <laughs> Podcasting is hard. Yep.